Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another eh, probably fine episode of Inspiration <laughs> Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. Good evening to you, sir. Good evening. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Oh. I'm excited to be here. It's always fun to sit with my buddy Andrew and talk about uh, not real life stuff. Oh, my God. Because it, <laughs> just... it is just going great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> before this, uh, before we hit the record button, we were just talking about the the nonsense that the real world has become. And uh Yeah. And not the kind of nonsense we like, because we're definitely connoisseurs, you might say, of nonsense. Yeah. Most people that are in the D&D, they show up for the nonsense. It is a good time. Or the nonsense shows up for them. Yeah. You know, we provide advice that sounds sensical, but it's all to enhance the nonsense experience. The escape, you might say. I hope my advice hasn't sounded too sensical. I've been actively trying to avoid that. Yeah. I yeah, mean, so, yeah, you know, when life gets you down, just be an elf, you know, or a half-orc or there you go. a raisin. I don't know, whatever that you're into. A California yeah. raisin? They the got California feet. raisins. They can, they can, like, walk around. Sixth edition D&D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, Fifth Ed had, uh, what did they have, like, the tortle package? And That's right, the tortle were- package, because they were like, whatever, they'll buy it. Yeah. And then six that will just be the California raisin package. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, you don't like our race class restrictions, do you? Fine. Do whatever you want. Let's see if we care. You You're go. a California raisin now. I don't know. <laughs> because magic. It's also funny, like a Baldur's Gate 3, you can make a female character and give her a beard. But don't you try to make an elf with a beard. That would not be realistic. That's it's. Because it's not canon. Yeah, I mean, I get the desire to, like, put a beard on a woman or give a man makeup. Like, fine, it's 2020, I get it, you know, go crazy. Right. But, okay, but elf on a beard, that's where we draw the line. Elf on a beard? You said elf on a beard. (laughs) I did say elf on a beard. Because the beard is the primary in that I think I just gave away the proportion of the beard that I was desiring that's true holy smokes look at the elf on that beard <laughs> look at the <laughs> that is woo ishtick i'm gonna start calling everyone ishtick now is that that's what lazel calls everyone oh i'm pretty sure it means idiot but i don't <laughs> it's all about you know in keeping with uh with our conversation from last week it's all about context right <laughs> yeah, context. It's all about context. Text, subtext, and context. Does it sound like she means, oh, you're a nice guy when she says ishtick? No, it no. doesn't. She's making a point. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, so I, I enjoyed that you put the outtake on Facebook too. That was nice. Yeah. I, I've been trying to, you know, get the word out a little bit. And um, I, I don't know that you've met her, but uh, Nord's old marketing manager Megan I uh, was talking to her a bit about some things that we might be able to do to sort of better market the show and stuff and one of the things she said was start put up an image on Facebook and Instagram that basically has like a 30 second audio clip that just kind of gives people a little taste of what they could expect in the show 
And I was like, and a moose bouche, you might say. Yes, and a moose bouche. That's very, very. Cultured. Although perhaps in this case, an amuse oreille. So that means ear instead of mouth. Uh, I I'm glad you explained that because otherwise I'd have been like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure. I'm, I'm thinking in French again because I'm like considering just selling bread for my life. Oh, I like, thought you were gonna say you're considering moving to France because that's I mean probably not the worst may- idea. Maybe. <laughs> I do kind of miss it to be honest. Ooh. France is a beautiful country, and they love D and D over there, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I still have a couple of French books that I bought when I was over there. And, I mean, literally people live in and around castles. Oh, that's true. I saw, like, a and d themed bar in one of the towns I lived in. Like, oh, it was crazy. That sounds awesome. Yeah, man. It was, it was pretty metal. I want to go to there. <laughs> we did go to, to Paris about four, four and a half years ago actually october it was it was like four five years ago like probably almost to the day now but yeah paris was gorgeous we even my wife and i got a uh, a padlock and put our initials on it kind of how you carve them on a tree the heart and stuff and uh, we put the padlock on one of the bridges over by notre dame Hmm. so that was that was a lot of fun really romantic got to see notre dame before it was engulfed in flame notre gone oh my god what a freaking tragedy that was can i just point out how irritated i am that the college is called notre dame you know they don't have a they don't have a french department that tells them how that's pronounced i always wondered like you always hear everyone say notre dame and i knew about the actual cathedral so i was like are we pronouncing it wrong everybody's been saying it this way so they say it as if this is correct but i thought that was a smart college but apparently they're dumb i don't know i might have to cut that <laughs> all the notre dame all the fighting irish the they're about to find us irish you know what i welcome it because then we'd at least have some listeners i can't even argue with that that'd be pretty <laughs> terrific you know what find me and we'll fight We'll do it to you. And then afterwards, we'll have a Guinness. That sounds like a solid plan. I think so. I think so. Well, uh, speaking of disasters. <laughs> <laughs> What's your inspiration point, it's, Andrew? It's time for some inspiration point. Um, actually, you're first. So, oh, I'm uh, my first. Okay. All yeah. Right. Let's burn this sucker Sound- down. <laughs> Let's start out right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, speaking of Guinness, let's talk about brew, huh? How about that for a segue? Um, because we're going to talk about home brewing and how to, the do's and don'ts, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I don't know how comprehensive this is going to be because we do want to keep it brief-ish. Well. But, um, you know, I guess I'll, I'll start with you, Andrew. You know, what do you think, what is home brewing for the layman? And, you know, why do we want that? What's the point of that? Well, it's when you uh, get yourself one of those distillery kits off Amazon and you mm-hmm, try mm-hmm. to make some moonshine in your bathroom. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Right. That's yeah. the, the Wait, home. What show is this? The, the home brewery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely like the pro tip uh, for the inevitable apocalypse. Um, that's right. 
make that prison you know, moonshine in your bathtub. <laughs> once the U.S. dollar no longer has any value whatsoever, the best things to trade are going to be bullets, uh, bottle caps, and I'm pretty sure whiskey and moonshine. Eurobucks, man. Get that cyberpunk hype. Yay, yay. That's right. Literally, everyone's just going to plug into cyberpunk and like that'll just become actual currency. That's fine. That's I... I'm so hyped for that game. But uh, back back. Everyone to- just opts out of reality. Oh, like, we're done. This yeah. place sucks. It's like Ready Player One. Everybody. I'm going to go to a dystopian future because it's better. Oh. <laughs> I hate that that's getting more and more believable. <laughs> I, we're, we're getting so off track. I'm sorry. I do. Yeah. So what's um, the point of homebrewing? Why do I want to do that? The point of homebrewing is because you have irresistible creative compulsions and an inability <laughs> it's a disorder really yes an inability <laughs> to use stuff other people made because internally you feel like you're being disingenuous and ripping off someone else's work am, am mm-hmm, i close mm-hmm. i would say that is definitely a reason i <laughs> i don't think for me it's the fear of plagiarism i have no problem with that <laughs> okay. it's not like gary gygax came up with elf right you know or came up with chess i mean he was literally like, what if I took chess and I took a book and I smashed it into a thing? Well, that's that's pretty much all tabletop game design ever. He, he had a big, long name for it. I don't even remember what it was called, but it was like 10 words. Yeah, and then his wife and then his came his up wife with was like, His wife said, what if he just called it Dungeons and Dragons? Because that's what it is. She goes, he goes huh. Huh. I think you got something here. And that's the story. That's what happened. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, even D&D itself, I guess you might say is a homebrew of just other games. It's an amalgamation of other things. Sure. But like, no, I I think for me, part of it is the desire to not read someone else's content, like to absorb it all Mm. and then to possibly misrepresent it. Okay. But it's more of the creative tendency that you brought up in the first place. You know, the disorder, the need one has to create. Now, I think we all homebrew to a degree like even if you run you know tyranny of dragons and you tell everyone that it's in forgotten realms and you follow you know the point by system and everything else you know you still have to be the person that interprets those rules sure so i mean if you play if you play with andrew andrew's going to present it away you play with adam adam's going to present it away and there's going to be some variation there that's true. I, I don't know that I would necessarily call that homebrewing, though, at least not in the active sense. No, no, no. Because no. it's just, yeah. I wouldn't either, but I would say that that interpretation and, and that self-injection does exist that is akin to homebrewery. Sure. Right? You know, like you can follow the recipe to make beer. It's still going to be a little bit different, right? Yeah. So anyway, the for me at least, you know, I guess I can just speak for myself. You know, I want to create something, but creating a whole game system is definitely hard. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. It's much easier to say, okay, I made a special type of elf, so you can pick that or not. Well, and 5e does a nice job of, uh, I think, in the DMG, giving you some pretty clear guidelines as far as, like, these yeah. are the nuts and bolts that go into making a race. So you can homebrew something and plug it right into the game, and it'll uh, it'll play along pretty nicely without generally you know, making everything just fundamentally break down. So I'd say some of the easier things to homebrew, to make up. For gamers out there, I would say homebrewing is all like modding. 
Yes. Right. You're essentially modding a TTRPG to do something a little bit different. And that can be a very drastic thing where you homebrew a whole world. You have a bunch of new rules and systems, and it's very much a hybrid of you and an existing system. Right. Versus another thing where, okay, we're playing D&D 5e. It is what it is. But I added like one or two things. And here's a house rule, right? Yeah. I would also probably factor house rules into homebrewing to an extent. Right. I honestly, I, I don't know that I have run into many folks who who really like if they really sat and thought about it, play D&D like 100 percent verbatim rules as written with zero house rules like. Yeah. I feel like everyone probably, perhaps even unknowingly, plays using some house rule. Now, we've probably all at some point done some homebrewery and had some of it work out and had some of it not work out. Likely. What are some reasons you think that a homebrewed something... Actually, before that, what are some things we could homebrew? Well, you can homebrew... We already said races, right? That's one thing that would be easy. Races... Classes, but classes are very hard. Much harder than races, actually, yeah. Probably the hardest thing, honestly, uh, as far as mechanics go, at least. You could do feats. You could do backgrounds, which are probably the easiest. That'd be easy, yeah. And honestly, I think what most people homebrew, that I, at least that I've heard and seen the most, are settings. People will come up with their own places where stories will take place and then just drop D&D's rules right on top of them. So in that way, you have folks homebrewing from a more literary or narrative uh, standpoint and coming up with their own, you know, story beats and things like that. But they leave the mechanics alone. Yeah. So that's a good distinction. You know, there are story options we can do. There's mechanical things we can do. We can change rules. We can add systems. We can create monsters. We can, Obviously, we can create NPCs. Right. The list is fairly endless. Like, there's something you could modify about, and not just Dungeons & Dragons, but any system that we wanted, right? Right. Now, we've mentioned that some of sometimes it's harder and sometimes it's easier. You know, what are some of the pitfalls that people run into when it comes to homebrewing, do you think? Well, huh, I would say probably the first or most glaring issue that folks could run into would be balance issues. Making stuff that's either way overpowered or way underpowered or even like useless. So that's why doing like a background would be so easy because essentially it gives you some sort of when you're in this environment, you can talk to this person and get this very benign benefit, right? right? And then it's like get two skill proficiencies, possibly a tool proficiency, maybe language something. Yep. Maybe here's like you get to start out with this very minor item, like a signet ring or something. You basically can't go wrong. It makes the benefits that you're allowed to get from a background very, very clear. Yeah. So I don't think in very many builds out there, the background is like included. Right. Because, I mean, it's basically flavor and style at that point. And I think that's part of the reason why I like them. Yeah. It can inform your character a lot. Doing a race is a little bit harder than that because now you do have to start thinking about balance a little bit. 
you're adding benefits to combat related content right and exploration and social checks you know this sort of thing some of them add spells right it could be pretty easy to get out of control here and then when and you mentioned before that classes would be much much harder than that i mean designing a whole class bottom up is a tremendous effort because you have to think about it from level one to 20. In fact, I, I would probably even go so far as to recommend that most people, I mean, unless you kind of have at least some game design experience, like if you've got experience tinkering around with this stuff from, you know, previous editions or, you know, maybe you're in the business yeah. or whatever, or you're just a hardcore enthusiast, if you're kind of new to this, stay away from making a custom class. It is real deep. Well, hold on. I, I, I'm i going to push back on that a little bit okay. because I think that in order to get good at homebrewing, you have to do it and you have to fail, right? Okay. Yeah. Like any kind of skill, I might agree with you to the extent that it is challenging and it's difficult, but I wouldn't say don't avoid try it, it, right? Yeah. Try it. Maybe your first thing should be background or a race but you know but do it yeah try try making a class just be ready for it to not work sure you know or be ready for feedback right yeah it's homebrewed your players have essentially become your free testers hopefully they're free and <laughs> one of them will let you know that if it's not balanced they'll let you know that that's going on and that's going to be very helpful for you because something that makes sense on paper isn't necessarily going to make sense once you get going right so I would just say be upfront with your players that, hey, this is subject to change. Yeah. Having said that, also don't need your change, right? See if it really is as good or as bad as you think it is. Yeah. So, right? sometimes You may need to give it a test. Yeah. Sometimes if your dice just have a really good or really bad night, it can make something seem like it's way better or way worse than it really actually is. You know, sometimes the odds just might be throwing you outlier right. scenarios yeah. the whole night. Exactly. Yeah. We, we were talking about logical fallacies in class today. So I was thinking about this. It's mm. like you could have one encounter that's just so bad that it gives you the wrong data points. Right. Like mm. you just your average roll was like three points lower than you expected. Oof. And the dice had nothing to do with your experience. The other thing could be your DM set up a, uh, or you set up, since you're, if you're homebrewing, you're probably the DM, although maybe not always, but maybe you set up a combat where everything was on a flat ground and everyone fought in a big box. Mm. That's different if you get to play with elevation or weather yeah. conditions or, you know, exploding barrels or pitfalls into lava, you know, all that fun Andrew stuff. Yeah. Give me <laughs> something know, I can all, chuck a dude off. Stuff exactly yeah. so those conditions change and so one piece of advice i would say if you're interested in homebrewing anything is yeah we want to try to achieve balance that's one of the the main goals and one way to test that is to say is this objectively better in most scenarios hmm. like let's compare it to the other classes or subclass features by the way i would probably work with homebrewing a uh, subclass option before I would mess with a class option. That's a, good idea. That's a lot easier to do. A lot of them have their most interesting up front and then sort of at the tail end. And they also kind of portion themselves out 
at the same kind of rate. They have these, yeah. you know, milestone levels that you can kind of reference. And they do a pretty yeah. nice job of kind of road mapping themselves. You know, and, and a lot of times, and for the player perspective, you you can homebrew a little bit as long as your DM's willing to work with you. Sure. But the DM's main concern here is going to be like, did I just break this player for everybody else? Yeah. You know, it's like, are they all going to be upset that they didn't get a broken homebrew class? Yeah. So I would avoid something that's just objectively better in combat specifically, because that's how people are going to generally measure success. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in a campaign that's much more sort of social or political, maybe this isn't the case, but then you also have to be careful. Like, did I make something that's too strong for that scenario? Yeah. So what you really want to look for is something that is niche enough to fit into a hole that you don't currently have a peg for. Right. You know, there is some sort of fantasy that isn't being provided for here that you can fulfill. I realize we introed way too hard into this, but I'm going <laughs> to try to sneak in some more information here. So trying to balance, do your new rules offer niche mechanics or flavor? Is it objectively better or just better in a given situation mm-hmm. that isn't just always combat? Yeah. Does it render something else irrelevant? Right. Like this ability just made the entire rogue class irrelevant, even though you made it for paladins, mm. like comparing it to other abilities is is a good way to look at it. I know uh, if you're trying to do like a custom spell, that's a really good thing to do, like compare to spells, depending on what class the spell is intended for. Look at and the level of the spell, what the best spells within that level for that class are. And see, you know, like, is it a third level damage spell that does like 10 D8 damage? You know, because if that's the case, then why would you ever use fireball? Right. That's sort of, I'm assuming that it was an AOE. And that could make yeah. sense if it was a single target damage spell right. because fireball hits a group of characters from far away. Maybe you do something that's closer. Maybe it also hits you. Like, there's lots sure. of variables to play with to balance that spell right like you know read the weapons very carefully only a few of them have no differences between each other like i think the glaive and the halberd are for all intents and purposes identical but one weighs more Mm. and i'm I'm not sure why that is but like a lot of the spells you're like well this one just seems better it's like well the damage value is higher but pay attention the range is not the same right right or maybe it's a save spell or this one has an added effect of some kind yeah this element comes up more often or more monsters are resistant or mm-hmm. weak to it, right? Like a lot of radiant spells, you go, wow, these are kind of weak. But then you consider that how many undead are in the game and how many of those are vulnerable to radiant. Right. All of a sudden, in that context, that's a lot more powerful. Right. And that can also mislead you if you make this ability and then there's no undead in the game, right? Yep. Then you didn't figure that out while you were doing it. So here's another sort of section about that necessity have you tried it normally yep did you ever try the rule in the first place before you judged it right and i've i've been guilty of this one because you, you might look at a rule and you might say something to the extent of well that doesn't make it much sense to me mm-hmm. i'm just gonna change that it's like maybe pay attention like the whole attack of opportunity for someone moving out of your space wasn't an intuitive idea to me because mm. i was like well he's leaving why do you get to hit him and yet it makes combat so much better to have it right it's such an important part of 
how the tabletop turn-based game works. Yeah. Well, and to me, it all it always made sense because the guy is running away. He's turning his back to you, so you get free shots. You know, that sort of thing. Because essentially, disengage is a more strategic way to withdraw, so you can picture it like the guy is still kind of facing you and consciously defending where if he's just running, he's just all out running and throwing caution to the winds. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like it's very easy to look at a rule or, you know, anything that you don't quite maybe understand at first blush and just go, ah, I'll, I'll come up with something myself instead of really giving it the time of day. Uh, another part of this is what problem does it solve? Like, can you clearly define what was missing yep. or what was the problem in the rules that was making things not fun? Yep. Do players want this or do you think it's important because it's going to make you more fearsome in combat or something, right? You know, like, who is this for? Mm. Also, do you really want this as the DM, right? Or are you just filling out a list because you think you have to? Mm. Features. Is it easy to wield? This is something that I do wrong sometimes. Sometimes you, you come up with this really interesting homebrew system because you were inspired by a video game. Mm. We kind of talked about this before, yep. about what to take and not take from video games. But remember that a computer is calculating lots of complicated, interesting ideas, but you're not. Yep. So if if you homebrew a, a system that's like some sort of dynamic, reactionary, when this happens, this thing happens. Yep. You know, remember a player has to remember that. And if it gets really mathy or if there are too many things to remember, then even you won't remember to employ it. Yep. Yeah. Don't give yourself more of a chore. Yeah. Yeah. Does this improve the story? Does it improve gameplay? Is it going to kill all my time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Because that can happen. By the way, one thing about balance that I missed was, can you break the game with it? Which seems obvious, but what I mean by that is, what is this combo with? You notice that in 5th edition D&D, they're like, eh, you could multi-class, but please don't, basically. I would say it's all but discouraged because yeah. of the stuff you get at the high end of the classes. The fact that you get ASIs every four levels in a given class, not just your fourth character level, that's pretty huge. Yeah, I mean, it It depends. I've read enough posts out there to know that there are certainly a ton of people who do multi-class. Like it's Well, and that's where, kind of where I was going. Okay. Which is to say, like, but then you have something like the coffee lock, mm. which I don't think was intentional. I think that they discovered it and they decided it was fine. They left it in. There's been some tweets about how to handle it, whatever. What is the coffee lock for anyone who doesn't know? So it's a multi-class sorcerer warlock. Mm. It's built to use the flexible casting rules of the sorcerer in conjunction with the packed magic ability of the warlock. Mm. So what flexible casting does is it says you can use your sorcery points to gain additional spell slots or sacrifice spell slots to gain additional sorcery points. Oh. You learn other ways to use your sorcery points as you reach higher levels. And then packed magic says... To cast one of your Warlock spells at first level or higher, you must expend a spell slot. You regain all expended spell slots when you finish a short or long rest. Ooh, baby. So as long as you get short rests in between, you basically can get all your spells back on short rests. Dang, that sounds fun. <laughs> 
So that's a really strong combo. And then, of course, they're both classes that run off of charisma. So that's great. Wow. Holy yeah, moly. it's pretty insane. Now, it, it doesn't matter at all if you play in that ca- in a campaign where there's like always one encounter and then that's the one encounter that happens for the day. Then coffee lock is irrelevant. But if you're doing a typical dungeon crawl with short rests in between combats, then it's kind of a big deal. Oh, right? shoot. I mean, I, I can imagine if one of us in our party in the campaign you ran in the uh, in the last chapter we had like three or four sessions where it all happened in one day and there were like no long rests and there were a few short rests if that character that would have been really in strong. that game oh my god what an asset yeah it'd be it'd be huge yeah. so th- this is also where homebrew rules can come in or house rules that we that we talk about mm-hmm. in I would try to say, get these out before the game begins. Like, don't reaction. I'm now house ruling that because that's a jerk move. Right. Right. Like, you're a DM. You've never heard of Coffee Lock. They bring it out on the table. They start playing it. You're like, you can't do that. Then they explain it to you. You feel like an idiot. So you just say, okay, well, that's banned now. Yeah. Like, that's to me, that's bad form. I wouldn't do that. But I would say up front, something to the effect of, here's a combo. I don't want to even deal with this. Yeah. Okay. Or you might say, there's no warlocks in this game. Mm-hmm. They're only for monsters. You know, whatever you want to say, you know, as long as it's all up front, I think that that's okay. Yep. It's at least worth a try. I'm, I'm kind of running out of time. I'm a, I am out of time here. But so I'll just say that that is a quick rundown of how to think about rules and how to think about mechanics in terms of homebrew. We didn't even talk about story homebrew, so I'll leave that for another time, perhaps. Sure, that's a good one. A couple of quick rules, just as a list of ideas that I've used. Some worked and some didn't. Mm. In one game, I cut the death save count down to two. Oh, yeah. Because I had a lot of situations in prior combats where players were falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up, and I wanted combat to feel a little bit more deadly and that sort of thing. So I said, if you get two passes or two fails, it's the same as getting three passes or three fails, right? After two, you can get up or die. Mm. And I definitely had more deaths that campaign. I will say it made a huge difference. Yeah, It made a huge difference. And one player got extremely irritated. Yep. So I'm probably not going to do that one again. But the rule of cool inspiration point, I'm a big fan. I'm always going to do that from here on out. Dude. Right. Instead of just giving you the re-roll or advantage on the roll, you get to basically cheat and do some BS as long as it's fun and cool. It's been that's so a good fun. time. It's just been used to great effect too. Another thing I've done is just not having low level material components at all because mm. I just don't want to think about it or track it. I've done games where we just don't think about travel expenses because I didn't care. Bring ammo's kind of that way too, like arrows. Yeah, I think a lot of people homebrew out yeah. ammunition. Right. Maybe not magical ammunition if you have some, but right. mundane stuff, though. Yeah. Like who wants to be the DM that's like tracking somebody's arrows? And frankly, who wants to be the player that's doing it? Too? Who so, has the time? Who has the time? Right. Who cares? And even in video games, they like, don't track it hardly anymore, right. at least in RPGs. I've had some games where I give everybody like a feat in the beginning. Uh, one time I just did racial feats. Mm-hmm. Cause they're a little bit more minor. As long as everyone gets one, I think it's fine. Yeah. I've also done some alteration to the way that your race ability scores work, where I tied one point to race, one point to class, and one point to background. Yeah. And they all had options. So you could essentially just make whatever the heck you wanted with any race. Yeah. Because Tiefling monks are cool, but they don't make any sense, like, build-wise to even try. Yeah. Now I think... But with this system, they're great. 
I think <laughs> Wizards has actually put out something recently or they're working on something that essentially yeah, is just like that too. Yeah, they they're I think it's going to be in Tasha's yeah, could be Cauldron or whatever it's called. He's done combat rules like flanking and higher ground. I think those are actually in the DMG as optional rules. And critical heals, that's fun. Ooh. But it's very very strong. <laughs> But basically, you just roll a 20, and if you roll a 20, then you get a critical heal. That's super cool. cool. Okay, so I'll go ahead and stop there, because I've gone over. What is your inspiration point? All right. My inspiration point is passive power. So something that uh, that we were talking a bit about yesterday and something that, that really stuck with me is how one of the things that makes characters in general, like even when we watch a TV show and stuff like that. One of the things that makes a character feel really cool to us, one of the things we really like to see is a character who is very competent at what they do. They know their business. They know what they're about. They're good at what they do. And they just seem like a natural at whatever that thing is. And this kind of leans into the idea of in fifth ed, there's passive perception, which right. basically for anyone who hasn't really looked at that part of the game, your passive perception is 10 plus your character's wisdom modifier, proficiency bonus if you're trained in it, and any other relevant modifiers. So the idea being that your DM... You basically always roll a 10. Yeah, your your DM should be aware of what everyone's passive perception score is. And if you walk into an area, this is the kind of stuff that you would just reflexively notice. Like, if you're an observant person and you walk into a room, you're not necessarily looking for stuff. You just kind of notice things. And that's what passive perception really kind of covers. And what's nice about that is if used well, it can really keep things moving along because at the very least, your GM knows, okay, this guy is always going to pick up on at least this kind of basic surface level stuff because he's just, his character's really sharp and he would notice things that, you know, stand out a bit. So that led me to thinking, okay, that's pretty cool. If I'm that character who has that kind of high perception ability and I walk into a room and I'm able to pick up on this stuff, that makes me feel really capable and like I just am pretty cool. Yeah. So that got me thinking about where else this could apply. So I came up with this. It's a little system that you could use to basically allow passives for other stuff. And what I'm looking at are actually the main six abilities. So strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. So to make sure that we have, you know, basically defined what these things cover. Strength comes down to physically exerting yourself upon something else or withstanding physical exertion upon yourself. Dexterity being deft movement, speed, 
flexibility or manual dexterity, doing delicate things with your hands. Constitution is basically your degree of health. Intelligence is your ability to retain information and use logic. Wisdom is your awareness, common sense, and kind of just gut level instinct. And charisma is your ability to leverage your personality when interacting with others in order to achieve a certain goal. So those are the realms that the main six ability scores cover. In fifth ed, they basically list out what DCs are considered easy to extremely difficult. These Mm -hmm. are all from a perspective of someone who is considered to have average scores, no proficiencies, nothing like that. Easy is considered a DC-5, or very easy is DC-5. Easy is DC-10. Moderate or medium is DC-15. Hard is 20. Very hard is 25. And nearly impossible is 30. The idea being, if you have a level one character who's trying to... But you literally couldn't get 30. Right. Right. Or even 25. Exactly. For that matter. Yeah. Yeah. So... Like, even if you had 18 strength, if you had no proficiency and you rolled a 20, you wouldn't get it. Yeah, exactly. So here's what I basically came up with is first things first, you need to look at the stats that you have save proficiency with. Most characters or classes, I think, start with save proficiency in two of the six, right? Yes. Yeah. You get two of them, I believe, for every class. Cool. So you look at those stats and from there, if a character has a 16 in those stats, they acquire passive relating to that stat, which means on checks that are DC five or less, that character just automatically succeeds on those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Then if you Yeah, I, I don't think you should ever call for a DC five. Right. Like that's just a waste of time. I well, I think those are potentially situations where it's like, you know, we just want to see if you'd crit fail or something like that. But I've heard enough people do that to know that it's a yeah, thing. Yeah, I've seen it a lot, too. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think is what, what I'm saying. Like, DC5. I can agree no, with that. No, you just do it. You know, even 10, I don't like to... I, I do it sometimes. And usually I regret it right after. I really don't like to give a skill check, personally, just as a rule of thumb, if I'm doing anything less than 13. Okay, sure. But that's just me. Well, and I... Homebrew rules. There you go. <laughs> then uh, I said, if the character has an 18... They acquire adept passive, which basically says on a DC of 10 or less, the character automatically succeeds. And then if a character has a 20 in an ability score, they acquire expert passive, which says on a DC of 10 or less, the character automatically succeeds. And then for DCs between 11 and 15, the character has advantage. So for those stats, with which you have save proficiency so that you, you know, just because you get 18 or 20 in those other stats as you're leveling up and up and up and up and you get all those ASIs and stuff, you still need that save proficiency, which 
to me is basically an indicator that your character has that much more of kind of just an intimate understanding or natural connection with that part of themselves to consider themselves like in air quotes a natural at that you know you're that in tune with your own strength or you're that in tune with your own intelligence or that sort of thing walk me through like using this so like the dm says to the fighter please make an athletics check does the fighter ask what the dc is because that's typically not done right the gm would have and i've actually made a sheet for this uh if you take a look at our inspiration point discord channel you'll see i posted the uh, pdf sheet in there which you have if you're a patron yes so basically the gm would get this set up as part of their prep usually ahead of time and only adjust it when someone levels up otherwise you just kind of leave it and have it as a little reference and then you have down what someone's save proficiencies are what their ability score is in those things and whether they auto succeed on fives tens and get advantage on 11s through 15s and then if they just get into a situation they just go hey i want to go lift that real heavy thing you as the gm already know what kind of dc you would put on it so if they say that they want to do something, you can just look at the sheet and go, oh, you'd auto succeed on that. So I'm not even going to ask you for a check. I'm just going to tell you what happens. And it lets you just keep moving things along. I got to tell you, man, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I have to tell you, I uh, I love you, buddy. I don't like this. This is another thing for me to have open on my screen. I already have so many things open. There are already so many things to track. I don't even track your guys' passive perception personally. Right. This is more of that. Yeah. I knew ahead of time that this would not be your bag. <laughs> and that's why I told you ahead of time. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. I know that you don't okay. like tracking this stuff. But I know that is no, still stuff that should be tracked. Like passive perception uh -huh. exists for that very reason. So, you know, if you don't have the screen real estate or if, nope. you know, if you don't even have the desk space or whatever, that's fine. Yeah, I've got dual monitors. I don't have enough room. <laughs> but having some way to basically just know what the character's overall capabilities are, to just be able to know when you should and when you don't need to ask for a check is nice. Because there are a lot of situations where, like, I've seen characters who should be unfailingly capable mm -hmm. at certain things fail yeah. at things where they they had no business failing the only reason they failed is because because roll 20 or your dice decided to be stupid when it's yeah. like you know you shouldn't be able to fail at this thing right you look at a guy who's able to lift a car and he goes you know to pick up a tree branch and because the gm goes roll the the check all of a sudden he he nat ones and you know the gm decides oh he breaks his back while he's trying to lift this thing or whatever some ridiculous thing and never mind the fact that technically rules is written skill checks can't crit fail or crit succeed mm. there's technically no such thing as a crit success yeah. or crit fail when it comes to skill pretty sure i've uh broken that rule yeah. many times 
we basically have house too, it's too that, fun to allow it right yeah, yeah it's too much fun to allow it but yeah technically rules is written that's not how that stuff yeah. works but right everybody likes the crit skill successes and stuff so yeah at least the success part yeah that part's fun you know, I, I I get the frustration that, like, why does my 18th strength character have to roll to pick up a rock that is, like, smaller than my hand, right? right. Like, of course, that shouldn't be a roll. Yeah. I think my counter to this would be you should, as a DM, not ask for a check unless, A, it is reasonably possible for the player to fail yeah. without some, even with exerting themselves. Right. right. They should never fail at a trivial task, period. Right. That they're proficient in. And on top of that, you also need to be okay with the results of a one. So don't paint yourself into a corner in case roll 20 says that they get a one. Right. And, you know, does this, is this going to make the character look stupid unnecessarily? Like, you know, avoid that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, again, my, my rule is if the DC is less than 13, I don't ask. Yeah. You know, unless I know it's something that they can't do. Like when it comes to your, cleric i'm not gonna ask for less than a 13 uh insight check i'm just not gonna ask. right yeah because to me that is the reasonable passive perception without having to track literally as i'm looking at this thing i mean you've got six bars per character in each or six rows and five columns so that's 30 numbers per character that i reference well that's those are only there to be able to just to have a spot to fill in what you need. It's not actually intended that you fill out everything. Oh, so you only do like one or two or something? Yeah, or? you only fill in the ones that the character has saved proficiency in. Oh, okay. So it's like two per thing. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the columns go, the column's the same all the way down. So if you see something filled in in that first column, you know they auto-succeed on fives or they auto-succeed on tens. Mm-hmm. So really, you just want to remember okay this guy's about the strength stuff this guy's about the int stuff yeah that part's easy to remember you shouldn't even need a chart for that right Right. your wizard like do you have arcana yes okay you know what this Mm -hmm. is and i would say particularly for knowledge skills stop making players roll for this unless it is that obscure unless it is truly difficult knowledge to obtain hidden obscure overly specific information if a character has a reasonable intelligence score i would say 14 or better yeah they just know the majority of stuff about religion if that's their skill or arcana or whatever yeah i would just ask as a dm are you proficient in this skill yes okay then you know this yeah but if my dc was like I don't know if he should know this or not. If I'm on the fence, that's a good time to ask for a roll. Right. And a one could still be, or a failure of some kind, wouldn't be, you know nothing about this. It, it should be, here is still like something you get from it. Mm-hmm. You know that where it's vaguely from, but you don't know the full meaning, right? You don't get the extra right. thing. Well, and regardless of whether or not you use this little system or some, you know, some variant thereof, basically mm-hmm. letting a character automatically succeed on things that they should be good at makes a player and makes the character feel great. It makes them feel powerful. It makes them feel capable and it gels with who they are. You you get to know that this is the guy you come to 
when you need heavy lifting done. This is the guy mm -hmm. you go to when you need to know something or, you know, you get to understand these people as experts in their field and they are reliable experts. It's not like, oh, you know, this guy's going to mm -hmm. try to lift this thing that should not be a big deal, but his back goes out. Yeah, because then the, the wizard never even tried, so the wizard doesn't look foolish. Right. But the fighter, who should reasonably not have had to make a roll in the first place, has to. But I would still have that fighter make a roll if it is beyond their normal capability sure. or if they have to do it under pressure. Yes. And of some kind. Like, there are right times to call for checks. I think, again, for me, the main takeaway is stop frivolously asking for checks to buy yourself time to think or to find opportunities to embarrass your players. Yeah. Well, and there, I think that there are a lot of GMs out there who, especially new ones, though not always, you know, anyone can fall into, you know, any kind of habit, but there can be this natural instinct to basically ask for a check anytime a player wants to do anything i want to blank okay what kind of check would that be i want to blank okay what kind of check would that be and there i think new gms especially can easily fall into that where that is just their natural response to their players i try to do want anything. to do a yeah. thing oh i'm supposed to ask for a check you don't have to not all the time you don't always have to yeah, yeah. in fact it is overdone yes it is overdone perception checks i would say are particularly overdone that's why passive perception aside from the good. fact that yeah aside from that though like it sucks as a dm to have something hidden on the map you have a character, maybe an NPC or a monster is just trying to sneak up on the party or at least not be snuck up on. And then you say, make a perception check. And then all of a sudden there's five checks, five or six checks that have been made against one monster who gets one roll, yep. right? Like that is ridiculously unfair. And that is not a thing you wanted your monster to do. In my opinion, and I realize that this may not be popular, but in my opinion, you ask the one or two players that have any business looking in the first place and you have them make the check. You don't ask anyone else to do it. If they offer to do it, that's different, but not if they offer to do it in response to you prompting it, mm. because then we're using player knowledge to game the system. I just heard my DM ask for a check from the ranger to do it the ranger failed therefore i'm going to put my hat in the ring even though i have eight wisdom right i would say no you don't get to make that check because i think we got to give as good as we get here right yeah so if there is a threshold in which you simply succeed there i think it is fair to say you don't make this check you don't think to do this you automatically this does not happen well i think in those situations that's where your proficiency comes in. If you are proficient yeah. in perception, in perception demanding situations, you should be able to make the check because your character well, yeah, is absolutely. trained to be aware absolutely. and looking for that stuff. If you don't have perception proficiency, you don't get to freaking roll. Absolutely. That might be the better solution. Like, please make a perception check if you are trained, right? Because right? you know to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that's... That works for me. That's mainly my my inspiration point you know how i'm sorry man how you how you tackle it <laughs> is uh how you tackle it is up to you but using yeah. 
using passive stuff or, you know, just basically avoiding asking for checks or asking for too many checks and just letting your players succeed in situations where it would make sense for their character to succeed um, can mm-hmm. make your can make your players yeah. and your characters feel great. Yeah. And to be clear, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I'm I'm 100% on board. Awesome. I'm even very cool with the idea of reference sheets for DMs regarding players. Yeah. But I would want more information than what this covers. I, I would like, you know, something where you can see their initiative, maybe, or their AC. The ability scores themselves, I think almost that alone, it's just maybe what skills they are proficient in, that would almost just be enough. Mm. That way I get a lot of information in a small space, you know, and that can easily be referenced. That's worth a little bit of desk real estate or computer tab sure. real estate. While I have 10 monsters open, my map and my story outline and my jukebox and, yeah. you know, yeah. like every other the extra tab where one player keeps messaging me throughout the whole thing because they're whispering me other things or facepalming at other players you know whatever it is there is gosh there it's just it's such a juggling act yeah sometimes to be a dm yeah especially a digital one like you really you really find yourself wanting to be like hugh jackman from freaking swordfish where he's got like freaking like a 16 monitor array that like wraps oh, around yeah. him and like dude i want the bat cave the bat cave is like the ultimate dm screen yeah right like i just need to tap into everyone's cell phone really quick like hold on i have a lot of monsters can we can everyone help me real fast everyone help me real quick <laughs> just just real quick everybody take an npc here we go the initiative is going to take a long time everybody get comfortable yeah and maybe there's a there's a point there about DM over preparation and micromanagement. Oh yeah. But again, you know, like I don't think we want to shift all the blame to the DM. If anything, oh, no, let's no, say no. this, you know, like like DM, maybe you could make a little less work for yourself by allowing auto success. Yeah. And and that's what and I was just going say, for. Yeah. And that's fine. And you could just be like, listen, hey, our, usually you know, right? You know the fighters proficient in athletics but like you might say well are you proficient in persuasion yeah okay you know the guy tells you where the end is okay that's not hard yeah you try to persuade someone that you're their long lost brother after all even though you don't look like how he remembers but you know age is a crazy thing and you've been through war and stuff yeah please call for a check in that scenario right because success or failure are both acceptable and they're both reasonable yeah yeah, and I think that's the that's the operative word too is freaking reasonable. Yeah, reasonable. Stop asking for DC five skill checks if you're doing that. Don't do that. Yeah, that is my humble opinion. Take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, I don't know for for a level one character that you know maybe maybe they're trying something that's way outside their wheelhouse that maybe they're not proficient in 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 those situations maybe but yeah sure yeah the the wizard says i want to pick up the big rock yeah it's comedy time yeah. okay let's let's have some yeah. fun let's freaking do it <laughs> okay all right man you get a dc 10 cuz it'll be hilarious when you fail when <laughs> when you fail when you fail it will happen that's Perfectly fine. Your barbarian's like, I make an arcana check. Oh boy. Come on, baby. <laughs> Come on. All right. Here we go. Time for some comic relief. Yeah. Yeah. Totally down with that. Although we did have a 
campaign once where didn't the rogue wind up like taking over the uh the the mages college or something and like yeah he took over the mages college even though he couldn't cast any spells because he was good at persuasion it was like it was it was like the the research wing or something like that and he yeah he was teaching classes on how to be a wizard and he did not he couldn't cast one freaking spell but all his yeah his deception checks just were off the chain yeah oh i (laughs) I still remember that. I can't believe he's teaching spell theory. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Theory always means the subject, but not really. But not really. (laughs) Which, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Good. Good for you, man. Like good for you. And and I mean, we were all tickled pink about it. That was was hilarious. And, and he's, he is that player where like, any time he would roll these checks that he had no business succeeding on, he would routinely knock him out of the park. Like, don't know how. Don't like it's just the dice freaking love him in instances where the dice should not love him. <laughs> By the way, check out ABI as a GM on startplaying.games if you're looking for a DM and you don't mind paying a very reasonable fee for a very talented game master. Hey, there you go. ABI, Albatross, Bravo, Bartholomew, Iguana. There you go. Th- those are those are words that begin with those letters. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, he's been our DM. I, I really like him. So check him out on startplaying.games. Yeah, he's very good. Very, very good. Yeah, I think, honestly, that does it for me. Stop frivolously using checks and no matter, you know, what you want to do, if you want to have a sheet that, you know, helps you keep track of those things or if you just want to do it off the cuff or, you know, like Adam is saying, just straight up omit DCs that are, you know, beneath 10 or so, you know, whatever you want to do, but let let your characters auto succeed on things that they should succeed on. And, uh, you know, I, it's like, okay, Andrew, I get it. At some point I made you do a, a check that you didn't feel like you needed to do. I apologize. I'm actually not (laughs) thinking of any specific examples, but I, I'm, I'm sure you did. Um, (laughs) no, I'm sure I did too, (laughs) but yeah, you know, it just, it's uh it feels it feels good and we want to make each other feel good because we love each other and we're in this together <laughs> see 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 i'm bringing it back around man we're back on brand it's all, it's, the secret ingredient is love that's right. andrew and i just want to make each other feel that's good. that's right i was i was watching boston legal some more with my wife last night oh boy and uh alan shore and that's our whole thing by yes, the way yes it totally freaking flamingos baby yeah that's right they were sitting out on the balcony and they're in uh wearing their spa bathrobes over their suits like you could see their ties between the folds of the of the bathrobe and they're sitting outside just just being the best of buddies and it just warmed every cockle i have Mm, warming the cockles of your heart so good so i love that show it's it's really good so our our official recommendation is to wa- to go back in time and watch Boston Legal starring um James <laughs> I couldn't only think of their character names William Shatner and James Spade. That's Spader. right. And they are 
freaking terrific. And there, there's a, there's a lot of other great uh, actors who show up in it too. Like um, uh, Candace Bergen is big oh, yeah. on there, and Betty White, Renee Aubergenois, yep. rest in yep, peace. Yep, from Star Trek. Yeah. All, all kinds of. Fun and stuff. also the chef from Little Mermaid. Did you know that? Who? Rene Aubergenois, he was the voice actor for the chef on the cartoon, The Little really? Mermaid. You know, Le Poisson, Le Poisson. That guy, Rene Aubergenois. How about that? How about that? Odo from Star Trek was the fish chef. Man, I... <laughs> huh. See, now I feel like I've gotten you back for Predator the Musical, I, right? I feel like we're even now. You'll never be even with me for that. <laughs> never gonna happen. Oh yeah, well I raise you a <laughs> quit shaving, you don't have a beard. Oh man, I love it. All right. I think it's time to wrap. Yeah. Thanks everyone for hanging out with us. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you found us. And if this is your first time listening, be sure to download and check out our other episodes. You should be able to find us on most major podcast platforms, including iTunes and Spotify. If you listen to us via iTunes, please be sure to leave us a five-star review and tell us what you think. It helps us stay alive. Uh, lastly, you can find our website at inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirationpointpodcast and on Twitter at IP rpg cast so um i think that's it for us so uh well check us out also on patreon yes 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 we would love to get you we have a minimum five dollar level to be in our community that's going to give you a lot of little let's call them buffs yeah that's at the spark tier i'm also looking to start a campaign with a group of muse level Mm. patrons very good that's at the hundred dollar level right which is a big ask, but you get a custom-made campaign for you. You will get what you pay for. You're going to get what you pay for. Okay, we're going to give you a good time. Yeah. For a good time. (laughs) Well, this is a family show. All right. This is a family (laughs) show. We'll have a good time. We'll have a good time. All righty. So let us know what you want to do and check us out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, until next time, stay inspired. Bye. Bye.